0: Welcome back to the Red Letter Podcast. I'm Hunter, and I will be your host, and I'm super glad to have you listening today. I hope that you enjoyed the first episode, and I'm thrilled to have you choose to listen to another one, so thanks for tuning in. As I stated on the previous episode, we'll be studying the Red Letters, the words of Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, and the Savior of the world. If you are looking to get a better understanding of God, I find no better place than to start with the words written in red. Again, this podcast is not to be a substitute for your own personal Bible study. It's not a substitute for attending or being involved in your own local churches. The goal is to inspire you to dive deeper into your own study and your own service and your own relationship with Jesus. On the last episode, we looked at the Beatitudes. This is chapter 5, verses 3 through 12 in Matthew. We discussed that Jesus meets us in the middle of our struggles, and he makes us complete. We looked at some uh, different life circumstances where people wouldn't consider consider themselves blessed, and we find that Jesus blesses us even in our shortcomings. We can't earn his favor on our own because he gives it freely. Jesus is here to close the gap and turn our poor spirit into a spirit of peacemaking and our mourning into a pure heart. We also discussed that by accepting Jesus, we're accepting a life of persecution, a persecution that leads to joy because our reward is in heaven. By fully surrendering to the cause, we will give our lives to him as he gives his life to us. Today, we're going to follow along with the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we were in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to continue to work through that teaching as I think that it has some great messages for us here. So last week, we finished in Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. Today, we're going to pick back right up where we left off in verse 13, and we're going to read through verse 16. So we only have a few verses here to study today, but there's a lot of great content in there, and I hope that it really inspires you as it did me. For many of you, this won't be the first time that you've heard this, because it's a classic go to for many teachings and preachings. It's something that if you were anything like me, you heard in vacation Bible school, you heard in Sunday school. And in fact, it's one of the foundations for one of our favorite Sunday school songs. But before all that, it was spoken from the mouth of Jesus to his disciples and to the people that gathered on the hillside in ancient Israel that day. So let's imagine that we're there, hearing his voice and his teachings for the very first time. You are the salt of the earth. But if that salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lamp standing, it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, so they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. All right, I'll spare you the rest. But I love that song. It's something that's really ingrained into me because of the way that I grew up. And it pops in my head every now and then, and I'm very blessed every time that it does. And I hope that you'll be blessed enough to have it stuck in your head for the rest of the day. So, what can I say? You're welcome. So let's talk about salt. We use salt so much today that we never really even think about it being of too much importance. However, if you try eating food with no salt for a week, I can guarantee you that you're going to lose some weight. In fact, maybe we should start a diet program based on Jesus' teachings. Food is just not near as good without salt. Fast food french fries are so good because they use a very generous portion of salt, so much that it might make some health professionals scream. The scripture clearly follows up Jesus' declaration of us being the salt of the earth with a verse about salt losing its tastiness. But if that salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? Maybe he knew that his audience was a little bit bland. And in all honesty, maybe we're a little bit bland ourselves. But if the salt loses its flavor, what good is it? I mean, if the salt has no taste, what's the reason for it? There would be no reason for us to use it at all. It is of no use if the salt is not salty. I would probably start reaching for some ketchup or maybe some pepper or anything to add a little bit of flavor to my food. I think we see this played out in life very often. Just look at the state of the American church. People are so turned off by churches and the message of the church is sending that the attendance is rapidly declining and the gospel of Jesus has been removed from government facilities and government practices because we have ceased to be salty. When a non-believer sees our lives, it should look much different to them. It shouldn't even make sense. They should see our lives and they should immediately notice that there is something different about us, something that they want. That, of course, is Jesus. But far too often, this is not the case in our everyday quote-unquote believer. When we lose our flavor, we don't live out our calling. We fall victim to the lies of the world, the lie that says that being a stagnant Christian is okay. And worst of all, non-believers will see us and say, there's got to be something better. Then they reach for something else, the pepper. I believe that in our very nature, there's a hole in us, a Jesus-shaped hole that can only be filled with Jesus. But to someone who doesn't know Jesus, they're going to try and do anything and everything to fill that hole. They'll use alcohol, drugs, sex, money, false religion, and the lie that Satan will disguise as the missing puzzle piece. What I'm saying is that it's our job to live a life that shows evidence of our Lord and Savior. The people will see it, recognize it, and reach out for it. They will grab onto Jesus and allow him to make them complete. If our lives do not reflect that of a true follower, it is likely that not only will we create no impact on a non-believer, but we may in fact steer them entirely in the wrong direction. Jesus will teach on this topic sometime later, and he gives some pretty serious consequences to this style of living. But one of the consequences he follows up with right here. If our salt loses its taste, Jesus says, it is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. I think that's kind of where we are in America right now, being trampled on by The voices of the world being trampled on by the voices of the enemy. Being trampled on by news media, by outlets that are hiding the truth. Because we are hiding the truth. He tells us that if we aren't doing what we were made to do, we'll be tossed to the side and trampled on by the world. We'll be walked over by the world and we will have no value. It sounds kind of harsh, right? But let's think about it for a second. It's very true. Let's put things into our perspective. If we went and bought a new appliance for our house, so let's say we bought a toaster. If I have a toaster, a toaster was made to toast toast. And if that toaster does not toast toast, how much toast can that toaster toast? A little bit of a tongue twister there, and I did that on purpose because I thought it was kind of funny. But either ways, the toaster can't toast anything. I'm not going to let a broken toaster sit on my counter and collect dust. And if I do, I can guarantee you that my wife's going to throw it out in a matter of minutes. We're going to go get a new one. We're going to replace the broken toaster because it's not good for anything. The truth is, Jesus isn't calling us to do things outside of our means. He's calling us to do what we were always made to do. And when we don't do that, there's going to be consequences. This is the truth that we don't like to think about. We often want to go to church and hear the preacher talk about all the things that Jesus can do for us or how much he loves us and all the mighty works he does for us. But while he does love us and he does do mighty works for us, he also calls us to do works for him and his kingdom. And we can't live our lives ignoring this side of Christianity because we've done it for too long. And look where it's gotten us. Jesus is forgiving. He is loving. And we will see that played out in the way he interacts with people. But when we encounter Jesus, he invites us to change. Throughout scripture, anytime he heals somebody or changes somebody, He tells them to repent and turn from their wicked ways. Do not sin anymore. He calls us to do the same. When we put our faith in Jesus, we put ourselves into a new category. When you know the truth, you have to share it. We are either all in or we are tossed out. It sounds pretty radical, but this is the same type of radical living that we see play out in the lives of Jesus' followers after the return to the Father. They knew the truth. And while there was persecution facing them at their door, while people were being killed and crucified, they had no other option but to live out the teachings of our Savior. Now let's lighten things up a little bit real quick. You are the light of the world. See what I did there? (laughs) You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. So let's make this make sense to the people that were there that day in the first century culture. Cities during that time were more often than not built onto a hill. They were built onto a hill to protect them from attacks. If you built a city in a valley, you could be attacked from every angle, and you'd be defeated pretty easily. These cities were a place of refuge. They had tall and thick walls around them, and they housed many, many people. However, not everyone was fortunate enough to live inside the city walls. The poor would live outside in city villages, and the people who were sick and unclean were outcasts from even those villages. They lived out by the city dumps. It is easy to imagine that the people outside in the city dumps, the people outside in the villages, would dream about what it would be like to live in a city. A place where they would feel safe and a place where they would have a bed, access to provisions and food, and maybe even access to work that they didn't have. While Jesus doesn't mention it specifically here, we will see that Jesus has a heart for the poor and the unjust systems that leave the poor to take care of themselves with no help. Being a city on a hill means that we are to create a refuge to people outside of the city. That we can help provide for those who need a safe place, not because we can do it, but because He can do it and He does it for us. The light in us should draw in people in need. It should draw in people in need and show them how to receive their daily bread, that is, the bread of life. Our gates should always be open and our God should always shine through. We are a city on a hill and a kingdom that will never fall. We should always be inviting people in, building them up so that they can be a city of their own, and that is how the kingdom grows. The kingdom will continue to grow brick by brick, believer by believer, because people need Jesus just like we need him. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. We often take for granted the luxury that we have the light. Any of us right now can walk into our house, flip a switch, and light comes on. For some people, you say, hey Alexa, turn on the lights, and the lights come on. For me and my family, we put hundreds of Christmas lights up every Christmas. Flip of a switch, boom, the whole yard's lit up. In certain motels, they leave the light on for you. For the people that Jesus was talking to, light as we know it was not conceivable. They got light from the sun, obviously, and from fire. And inside of a house, they would use fire in the form of a burning lamp. These lamps were made to burn oil, and that oil held a lot of value because it was a source of light in the dark house. So lighting a lamp and hiding the light was not just silly, but it was a complete waste of resources and money. Believing in Jesus by hiding it is a waste of the greatest resource of all. The difference here is that with our lives, we can't refill the lamp when it runs out. We only have what's given to us. So we have to make the most of it by lighting up the whole room and making eyes able to see in the darkness. Let your lights shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. This is the goal. This is what we are meant to do. We do it for God to give him glory because in all we do we honor Him. This is where the rubber meets the road because we are called into action. Not to stay in hiding, not to stay in our church pew, not to stay behind this computer and this microphone that I'm talking into, and not to stay in our couches. This shouldn't be that hard, but we make it so hard because we allow ourselves to get in our own way and blame others while doing it. As American Christians, we often point the finger at political parties, at government sanctions, and at the world, and blames all types of our shortcomings on everyone but ourselves. But the truth is, we are the problem. We have hid our light under a basket and all but extinguished it. We have traded in our call to be the light of the world for the lie that we just have to worry about ourselves. If we truly believe in Jesus and that he has the power to set us free, then those type of actions cannot be explained. We are living in sin by simply living and hiding. We tell ourselves that two hours a week at a church service is all we need that we can go and do whatever we want the rest of the week. And if we do that, we're going to live our lives and we'll squeeze our way into heaven. But nowhere in the Bible will you see this taught, and especially not in the life of Jesus. While Jesus will spend some of his time preaching in synagogues to religious people and at those quote-unquote churches, he spends most of his time out in the world, being a light to the world. We will see him being friends with sinners and tax collectors. We will see him spending time with outcasts, people that have been trampled on by men. He will restore them, and he urges us to continue to allow him to work through us in that very same way. I've heard our pastor use this quote. It's a quote from Rodney Smith. There are five Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian. Most people will never read the first four. Now let's think about that for a second. Think about it. Your life might be the only chance that a person has to see God. Our lives should be changed by the Holy Spirit. And it should tell the story of a loving God who loves his creation. Our lives should be the reason that an unbeliever comes to know Christ. The reason that they learn the four Gospels of the Bible. But if we aren't careful, our lives will lead them into another direction. And the four Gospels of the Bible will be read less and less. So it's time to take a little self-inventory. This is where it gets a little hard here. did get hard for me as well. So let's think introspectively and ask yourself, are you being the salt and light that you were called to be? For many of you, the answer is no. And for me, I can share the same kind of guilt that you might be feeling right now because in all honesty, I've spent most of my life hiding under a basket. But when I saw the truth... For what the truth really was, and that is a life for Jesus is a life that sets us free, things change. This is my story. I've worked in the restaurant industry for my entire working life. In the restaurant industry, it's known to be one of the leading industries for substance abuse, both drugs and alcohol. It is an industry that employs young college students trying to find their way in the world. It employs many people that have been criminally charged and are looking for a second chance. It employs single moms working two jobs to make ends meet. It employs immigrants from other countries trying to make a life for themselves. It employs people that work every Sunday to serve up lunch to the church crowd. Now that's a different kind of salty right there, but I'll save the church crowd stories for a different time. My point being, this industry is full of people unsure of God. People who have no desire to know God. And for some, they're people who deny the very existence of God. For many years, I stayed quiet about it. I tried to just go with the flow and not ruffle any feathers, because, you know, the worst thing we can do is offend somebody. I tried to sit there and be quiet. I listened to people laugh and mock Jesus, and I didn't even speak a word. I hid in my faith in fear of what others would think, claiming that, I didn't want to offend someone, but in the truth, I was just scared to say anything. I think of it now, now that I am where I am with Jesus and in my walk, and I think of how silly that was. What is there to be afraid of? If I spent my whole life on earth being afraid of what other people would think, I can assure you that I would sit in front of the throne of judgment in complete terror of the thoughts of the one who created the very act of thinking. Now, I'm still not perfect. I'm working on being a light, and it's not always easy. Sometimes I'll let the enemy whisper in my ear. I'm not always obeying the red letters. Now, I'm being honest with you, because I think honesty helps us grow. And I hope that my honesty helps you grow as well. If I sat here in this comfortable chair behind this computer and microphone and acted like I had it all figured out, I'd not only be lying to you, but I'd be lying to myself, and more importantly, I'd be lying to God. I encourage you to be honest, honest with yourself and honest with others, because honesty leads to truth. And the truth is, I need Jesus, and so do you, and so does someone else. I hope what you hear today will encourage you to be bold, to step into your calling and not keep the salt in the shaker, and to take the basket off of your light. The words of Jesus can be tough to swallow sometimes, but Jesus has to be our guide, and his teachings have to be the backbone to how we live our lives. We are not called to live in silence because a life in silence is no life at all. We're called to shout it from the rooftops and to live a life that points to the resurrected Savior because fear is natural, but allowing Jesus to conquer our fear is supernatural. Let's read the scripture one more time You are the salt of the earth, but if that salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your lights shine before men, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. My prayer is that we myself included, allow the words of our Creator to change us. That we allow it to reveal the truths to ourselves and about ourselves. And we allow it to create the change in our mind, heart, and soul that we need so that we can be the salt and light of the world. There is simply no other way to live. A life for Christ is just that. It's not a life for ourselves or our own personal agendas. It's a life for His glory, His kingdom, and His worship. We aren't always going to be perfect. We're going to slip. We're going to fall. But that's what grace is for. But we live our unperfect lives for a perfect Savior. A Savior that has stepped down from His throne, became like His creation, and made a way for all, every single person, to enjoy an eternal relationship with our loving God. The more you serve, the more you will see that this is what we were always meant to do. So be the salt of the earth. Be the light of the world. They're hurting people all around us, and we have exactly what they need. Jesus. Stay blessed.